Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, Pulsecast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of Pulsecast. Hi, I'm Amanda Safdar, IAOP's Managing Director of Global Events and Member Services, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the first in a series of podcasts highlighting sessions from OWS 2.0, which took place this past February in Orlando, Florida. This first session brought to us by Maura Hudson, COP, Senior Vice President, and Michelle Needles, Executive Managing Director, both with Colliers, takes us through unconscious biases and how to avoid blind spots and create more inclusive thinking. This highly interactive session was one of the highest rated on the OWS 2.0 program. Enjoy. Can you guys hear me okay? Wow, you guys are the warriors. I'm so proud that you're here this afternoon. Ooh. I know it. Woohoo! And I love seeing all the men in the audience. This is amazing. Thank you so much for supporting us women. We really appreciate it. Um, this is a really exciting session this afternoon and a very important topic uh, that a lot of companies who are focusing on diversity and inclusion initiatives within their organizations are really trying to tackle. Um, so this session today is dealing with unconscious bias. It's a session that is sponsored by IOP's Women Empowerment Leadership and Diversity Chapter, uh, which started, woohoo, uh, started about three, three years ago. The three of us are, and several other women, Wendy and others, are um, part of the um, you know, chapter advisory committee and board um, for, for this organization and we're really doing some, um, I think, groundbreaking um, things in terms of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So thank you very much for coming uh, and being with us today. Just to, um, just to do a quick kickoff, did you, hi. <laughs> and Shitra, I'm so glad you just showed up. Shitra actually runs the, um, the uh, women's diversity chapter. So thank you very much, big hand for Shitra. <laughs> so, um, so for those of you that know me and maybe have spent any time with me over, um, over the last couple of years that I've been involved with IOP, you will know that I am a huge advocate and champion for, um, for women and for diversity in the workplace. Uh, the Women's Empowerment and Leadership uh, chapter kicked off, as I mentioned, around three years ago and has been very um, successful in tackling and bringing to the forefront key issues facing organizations as they look to formalize and grow their DNI initiatives. In today's session, we will address unconscious bias, a topic that often makes people uncomfortable, and there may be moments um, throughout this session um, where we enter into some uncomfortable conversations, but I actually think that is really good to break down some barriers. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, turn it over to our session leaders, um, Maura Hudson, who's Senior Vice President for Colliers, and Michelle Need Needles, who's also Senior Vice President Great. for Colliers. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, big hand. Okay. <laughs> you want to kick off? Sure. Um, thank you for coming. This is um, a very insightful session for us um, as researchers of the topic, as interested parties of the topic, um, as leaders in our firms of developing diversity initiative platforms. So um, we're coming at this from a peer um, level 
as much as you know, based on the evidence that we've done and researched as part of our platforms. Um, you know, this is important to me because I am looking to constantly improve and be my best self and look for the areas and gaps that I have in my interpersonal relationships with other people, um, in my business dealings with clients and other relationships, and to be able to take those learnings and improve how we um, develop solutions for um, uh, problems that our clients have, and by extension of that, how we can make our communities better. You know, bringing together both the business aspect and the societal aspect of, of, um, of what we do is you know, it's just super seamless at this point. So, you know, this topic is part of a whole ecosystem of content that I'm looking to develop in my practice in marketing and research for Colliers, which I'm the US lead for, and um, be able to um, impart that to my team members as well so that they can also look to um, be their best selves as well. Great, thanks, Maura. Again, my name is Michelle Needles. You can call me Michelle. Please do not call me Shelly. That would create havoc and disaster in this room. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Unconscious bias is important to me personally as a leader in diversity and inclusion within Colliers. I'm one of the founding members of our diversity and inclusion platform dating back to 2015. And we are constantly, as Maura mentioned, researching and finding ways to innovate how to create not just diversity amongst our workplace, but in our day-to-day -day lives. As a mother of a young man and young woman, I really want to create an environment where the only limitations for them are the limitations where their hard work will take them. And I want that for your children, for their peers uh, throughout the worldwide community because diversity in experience, diversity in thought, um, all brings us to a better, more well-rounded community as a whole. Unconscious bias in the technical term, and we share some information from our research partner Catalyst, it's an association or attitude about a person or a social group while not plainly expressed, operates beyond our control and awareness. Think about what a gut feeling is, your intuition, your instinct, that unshakable and unflappable feeling of, oh, I'm going into this meeting with a man, I might wanna change my tone. Or I'm hiring someone who's coming from a different geography, I might wanna look at certain areas of their background. So it's those, those abilities in our mind to trigger that thought that we need to be more aware of. And I say that, in, and I always like to start just in a, a way to get everybody laughing, but how many of you read the word that was on the back of your tag and thought, that's strange, that doesn't describe me? Well, hopefully, yeah, what was yours? Shy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> shy. I shy. Me. Well, the fact that you raised your hand and immediately piped up means that you probably are not a very shy person. And I think that for those of you who even know me now for two minutes would say that I'm probably not apathetic. And so when people were getting our names, you know, our, our names from the back and I said, oh, mine's apathetic, but I really don't care about it. And no one really got it, but for me it was an association that I'm not an apathetic person because I knew I had an association with that word that was someone who didn't work hard, who didn't care, who didn't invest would others have that same perception about me when it's simply gamification? So what we're gonna do is kind of extend the gamification. We know we are the only thing standing between everyone in this room and alcohol. So we're gonna make it worth your while, <laughs> worth your investment, and we're gonna have a little fun with it. So I don't know if you wanna right. call so our volunteers. four volunteers that have graciously um, allowed us to be able to drag them up on stage. So if my four volunteers can come on up, 
We got Kyle. <laughs> we got Lawrence. <laughs> so you didn't tell me how to show up. We got Kate. <laughs> exactly. And we have Heidi. Um, so right away, you know, when we were working on this uh, presentation and doing the research, um, bias started popping out everywhere. And as you might see, the, these are my four friends that I have in all of IOP. <laughs> and there's, there's some homogeneity in, in this group of people. Um, there is some diversity in terms of gender. Uh, there, there was a conscious effort to add um, some more diversity of color in this exercise. Unfortunately, the person I, I um, asked to participate, he ended up not being able to come, um, Bobby Varanasi, uh, who's longstanding IOP and actually does studies on the socioeconomic impact of outsourcing and global sourcing. So I actually have some notes from him, so we're going to be able to add some color commentary in, um, as me as his proxy. So anyway, um, so we uh, developed um, a survey of these four individuals here. And what they did was provided us with examples of statements of experiences that they've had that you might not be able to guess just from looking at them or if you know them a little bit more than just what they look like um, from inferring from the statement. So the point of this exercise is to have you take a look at the statements and Michelle, why don't you explain a little bit about what they need to do? To yeah, I just I was going to we were going to use Mentimeter as part of the um, the program today. Unfortunately, um, it's just not projecting well. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through, as more mentioned, these um, attributes and these experiences, um, and we're going to run through twelve of them, and um, and we're going to go through in no particular order. And what we want you to do is just kind of think through an example of who that, or I'm sorry, the example and who that person may be. And instead of using the online polling, uh, we're gonna just kind of run through it on a raise hand basis. So what we'll do is we'll read through them and then we'll kind of come back and revisit. So more if you wanna start with the first. Sure, so uh, this, this person was an alternate on the US equestrian team in 1977. Uh, that's one example. Another example, this person worked at a temporary agency to help pay for college, mostly doing secretarial work. Another statement, this person was one of the original 26 planning committee members on the Women's March National Organizing Team a couple years ago, um, mobilizing over 5 million men and women globally. Uh, another example, in college, this person met an artisan who forged knives and swords for a living. This person really wanted to buy one but had no money, so they apprenticed with him most weekends where a large part of their customer base were outlaw bikers. Another example, this person encountered a severe case of shingles, which caused blindness, hearing loss, vertigo, and facial paralysis for many years. And another example, in 2017, this person volunteered in Thailand in support of elephant rescue efforts and taught English to underprivileged children in Cambodia. Now, who did what? <laughs> so those are, those are six. Yep. And the next six, six are, this person once spent 42 hours in a four by four box, four feet by four feet. Next, this person has continued to dedicate over 7,800 hours, which is 195 weeks uh, at a 40-hour week, and it equates to 3.75, three and three-quarter years of volunteer leadership time to create and build two global communities of practice that are helping shape the future of work. This person has spent the last 28 years as a high school lacrosse coach. 
Since graduating from university, this person has lived in over 14 major cities, including Auckland, New Zealand, to evolve their career and seek out specialized education for their child. This person grew up quite poor, often hunting and fishing for substance. The first time this person ever ate a McDonald's hamburger was when they were 12 years old, and it tasted funny because they never had any ground beef without soy filler in it. And lastly, this person saved lawn mowing money for a year to buy their first Sears Stingray bike at age 11. So some of these examples are, you know, very, very emotive of their childhood. Some of these examples are like wildly, amazingly, you know, different. You know, some of them are athletic. Some of them are very, very unique experiences. So we're going to run back through and we're going to have real quick feedback. Don't think about it too much, but raise your hand if you think if it's this particular person that had this experience. So starting with this person was an alternate on the U.S. equestrian team in 1977. Was it Larry? Raise your hand. No. Heidi. Kate. Kyle. All right. Okay. So now to tell the guys. truth. There you go. Aha. Aha. All right. Number two. This person worked at a temporary agency to help pay for college, mostly doing secretarial work. Was it Larry? Heidi. Kate, Kyle, all Kate right. and Kyle are getting all the, the red for <laughs> <laughs> All right, to tell the truth. <laughs> all right, um, this person was one of the original 26 planning committee members on the Women's March National, National Organizing Team. Larry, <laughs> Heidi, Kate, Kyle. Answer? You guys are catching up? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know I'll run through a couple other examples. We yep. don't have to run through all of them. Um, let's see. This, this person once spent 42 hours in a 4x4 four four box. Larry? He <laughs> 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 can fit. He can fit. <laughs> Heidi? Kate? Kyle? <laughs> The answer, did he fit? Unfortunately, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, real quick, tell the backstory on that. Uh, Sears School and the Marine Corps Survival Evasion Resistance Escape. You have to uh, evade the enemy. You, they capture you. You have to try to escape. They interrogate you. Every 15 minutes, they beat on the box with a baseball bat and call you a war criminal in a Vietnamese accent. They interrogate you a bunch of times dunk you in water a whole lot, throw you around, try to make you sign something, that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Here's uh, encountered a severe case of shingles, which caused blindness, hearing loss, vertigo, and facial paralysis. Heidi? Kate? Kyle? You guys are getting intuitive. Answer? Yeah, I had, um, I was traveling a lot. I was doing a lot of global work and raising a son and helping my husband with his new business and my stress was over the top and my immune system was probably low, got shingles, couldn't get into the doctor in time. It turned into a very severe case, actually they call Ramsey Hunt, and overnight I, I, I couldn't operate. And it was mortifying because I was just used to going at 100% speed but like all things that happen, you know, 
those triggered you and it cracked me open. It was actually such a gift and such a blessing because I had to start reframing myself. It gave me tremendous compassion for anyone that's got a disability. And it made me start reflecting around my own bias towards mm-hmm. people that I thought wouldn't be able to keep up with it all. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a wake-up call. Excellent. Very good case study example. Awesome. Is there any other particular fact that we should find out who owns up to it that you heard? Oh, yeah. So one of our favorites kind of going into this, which was um, the individual who had the experience in college where they were working for um, a swordsman who was crafting and forging swords um, whose largest customer were outlaw bikers. So. Uh, you guys have guessed Kate a lot, so um, you know. Let's kind of take a quick guess. What do you guys think? Is it Kyle? Kate? Heidi? Larry? <laughs> but Larry's got it. <laughs> Larry absolutely wanted us to make sure that we told you he was not affiliated <laughs> with the Gypsy Jokers or the Hell's Angels. So we want to make that clear, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so why don't we give our um, four uh, volunteers a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Can you click advance and see if that advances? Okay, perfect. Okay. Excellent. So the reason that we wanted to kind of go through this exercise, first of all, it is kind of fun. You know, you get to learn something about someone. It's always neat to have those conversations where uh, you consider what is the thing that you didn't know But ultimately, unconscious bias, it informs our decision-making every day. The decisions we make at home, the decisions we make at work, and those decisions that we have in our interpersonal relationships. By definition, we are are unaware. Those autonomic responses, we're unaware of them. And so our purpose today is create more awareness around those topics because once you see it, you can't stop thinking about it. Uh, Some examples certainly for bias are the able-bodied bias, uh, bias, the ability for us to assume that our four volunteers would be able to come up and stand in front of you to this day without needing any assistance. But we wanted to run through some of the common bias types that our research has identified in some of these groupings that, uh, that we had characterized because I think they naturally go together. Right. And, you know, this group, uh, we were looking at them to determine if we can identify the story with the individual based on what they might look like mostly. But a lot of the bias types that we're going to be talking about reference interpersonal, introspective kind of situations and and experiences. So for example, affinity bias um, represents a connection based on similar interests or backgrounds. So you may have gone to a certain university. Maybe it's USC. You have, you're interviewing someone who also went to USC. Now, if you're familiar at all with USC um, and people that go there, or conversely, in the case of people that live in Southern California, UCLA, mega rivals. So if you go to USC and you meet somebody else from USC, that's an instant bond. There is a discussion about football. There's discussion about everything else related to USC. Somebody that didn't go to USC may consider an alternative acronym for that university well before the uh, college admission scandal. That is the anti to the affinity bias, meaning there is some negative association connotation with that university. Um, Confirmation bias is 
taking a step further, the inclination to draw conclusions based on certain desires, certain belief systems, um, often what is even read, like say in a resume. Prime example for me, being that I'm a writer by you know, background, is I will look at a resume and if I see misspellings, it'll drive me crazy. <laughs> I cannot stand it. And I will automatically infer from what I'm seeing that there is some you know, deficiency somewhere that, that you know, clearly, especially if I'm looking at them from a marketing role or some other capacity where writing is extremely important, which is more and more important in everything these days, that that's not gonna be the right candidate for me. But that is very, very common to see um, and not necessarily the same kind of level of importance that people will place in it. Uh, attribution bias, that is the judgment or making sense of a behavior that someone may be exhibiting based on prior observations you might have had of that individual and interactions you might have had. Here's a prime example of this. So say you're working very closely with somebody and all of a sudden um, they may start slurring their speech. They may start looking like they're not focusing. What are some potential uh, thoughts that you might have about somebody that's slurring their speech or not focusing or stumbling? What are, what are some things that could be drinking? Stroke. I mean, two completely different examples. One personal one that I can share, um, because I have um, an affiliation with the type 1 diabetes community, is that people with low blood sugar will ex also exhibit those signs as well. So, you know, having those examples um, in the back of your mind can help recognize particular um, relationships in, um, in attribution bias. Another group of biases, we're calling this the behavior or experience bias, and that's your bias towards or for other individuals based on their behaviors and their experiences. So how you are intuitively responding to the activities that they've had in their life. I think this is an incredibly important category because we think about, you know, raise of hands, how many people in this room have made a hiring decision and used the internet to, to Google, to Facebook search, the person you may be hiring just to see what their social media footprint looks like? Okay, an overwhelming majority. And when we look at their social media footprint and things they may be posting, one area that we might be looking for is conformity. Do they conform by their actions to my worldview? And in a year with a presidential election, when politics, we strive to keep it out of our workplace and most of us at our dinner tables, um, if you see someone exhibiting a political affiliation that is different than yours or aligns with yours, you might be biased towards or against that person. The halo and horns effect are probably a little intuitive uh, in terms of the, the angel and the devil, right? You may have uh, seen an activity or been able to, as part of their resume, see that they've received certain awards and you feel very positive about that person even though you've not met them. And conversely, the horns effect would be, as part of that social media search, you're seeing um, activities, actions, maybe public drunkenness or you know their name was mentioned in an article and it was derogatory, so you might have a different perception upon them. You know, I'm very happy that from a halo effect, we have three of the Red Ladder Award winners in our room today, um, but I'm okay with that bias, so that is fine. Um, and then lastly, the contrast effect. And this is one that um, I think that we're, and people in hiring positions have to be very aware of. It is when you're taking a group of individuals or opportunities and you're comparing them and contrasting them to one another. 
So for example, I was the judge on uh, one of the panels for the Red Ladder Awards, and I knew that I suffer from contrast effect. So I made sure that I evaluated every single applicant separately in a separate time with at least an hour or so break between the course of several days to ensure that every evaluation was giving its proper due. So when you're reviewing resumes and you're looking at opportunities to onboard individuals to your organization, or you're in the sourcing process and you're looking at RFPs, uh, responses, consider that the contrast effect can be neutralized in a couple different ways. Lastly, these are probably some of the most common areas you think of when you think of unconscious bias, and that's our physical identity. So age, gender, or height and weight, um, able-bodiedness, um, but also ethnicity and our names and what our names say about us when you've not met us. Um, a few statistics, because I think this is an area that is most commonly studied and well-studied of all of the biases. Um, first, Moore and I were talking today about the C-suite. Um, male CEOs are disproportionately taller than the average population and typically earn more money. Women of color hold just 4.6% of board seats in the Fortune 500, yet they represent 18% of the U.S. population. Ageism, gendered ageism, is uh, the most common type of discrimination in Europe. So more than 44% of the respondents in this research study um, and 64% of those interviewed in, sorry, sorry 44% of the respondents in Europe, 64% in the United Kingdom, reported being concerned about their age discrimination. 61% of US workers over the age of 45 reported witnessing or experiencing ageism in the workplace, 61%. In the United States, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission reports a 15% increase in the number of Age Discrimination Employment Act charges by women at or over the age of 40 from 1990 to 2017. Perhaps there is a greater awareness and a willingness to come forward. So we shouldn't be, uh, I think, disturbed by those numbers. Um, I think the reporting is greater. I think people feel a willingness to come forward. But a 15% increase in the last 30 years um, certainly is something that we need to challenge. And then the last, in that same time period, charges by men within the same age bracket decreased by 18%. So it, certainly all of these biases can work together for or work against um, you know, individuals. But one of the questions that we really wanted to ask the people in this room was when you were hearing those experiences. And you know, it's funny, there are some good stories. But when you were hearing them, why did you intuitively pick the person that you picked for a certain topic? Now, by the end, you've got some contrast effect going, right? Because you know that we've already maybe identified Kate or we've already identified Heidi a couple times. But think about the biases that informed those guesses that you had. Mm -hmm. Did anybody have any thoughts about certain some of these biases that might have come into play when you're making some of those choices? Well, age, when you say 1977, yeah, it had to be, it wasn't one person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and well, that was that was the equestrian team example, right? Mm -hmm. Did we yeah, so did yeah. we identify who that was? That's Heidi. Yeah, yeah. That's Heidi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that you know that's information that that helped color the decision. But there's like some others that we had that could have been really anybody, huh? Mm -hmm. Um. So now that we look at it in a general sense, as we try to do in, consciously in our time together in the outsourcing space, trying to bring it back to um, where this occurs most often in, in outsourcing. And 
you know, there's, there's a lot of traditional decisions that are made around hiring, recruiting, training, performance management, um, also in like operation decisions, uh, where you make your investments in uh, sites for certain offshore or outsourcing decisions. Um, you know, I, I point out the travel restrictions specifically because I think we've talked about in prior uh, conferences about how that's been a real impact um, depending mm -hmm. on the, the year of how, that, how we're able to deliver services because of these restrictions for, for certain populations. Um, you know, certain populations are impacted by the coronavirus and uh, there's been some biases uh, as a result of those populations, um, you know, across the world that have been very negative. Um, you know, so there's, there's lots of different examples. Wendy. Okay, coronavirus, China. I, I, don't, think it's not, I don't think it's a bias. I think it's a smart business decision. Like, I personally, if I had a business, my own business or even my company, I wouldn't want any of my employees to travel to China right now. I don't think it's a biased decision. I would, it, fundamentally, maybe not, but in terms of the interactions between populations that are impacted by that situation, there is some, some very challenging behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like for example, in the case of coronavirus, there's been a number of um, news items about people that are physically removing themselves from populations that could be construed as having coronavirus and there are certain demographics that they represent. So that's that's kind of, that that's not the travel restriction specifically. The actual travel restriction example that I was, uh, first came up with um, for this particular piece was a few years ago with um, the Muslim restrictions and, and mm -hmm. certain, certain um, uh, groups of people not being able to travel um, or travel in a very restricted way. They weren't mm -hmm. able to bring their laptops on the, on the plane. They wouldn't have like, the ability to communicate very effectively because of those kinds of situations. All for very good reasons, but there is an undercurrent bias that takes it to the next level mm -hmm. that impacts our space. I, I have a real life, and, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but I'm going to Please. admit a bias. <laughs> That's a safe space. That's, yeah. Let's get uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> This is really uncomfortable to me, but I'm going to admit it. Um, when I was flying from Los Angeles to Orlando for the show, um, and I, I work for a company, a China-owned you know, company, right? Um, our, our founders are Chinese. And I um, sat down in my seat, and two people from China came in and sat down next to me. And I have to tell you that there was an absolute moment of panic on my part. And I, I never would consider myself, you know, to have bias. I know I probably do, but I literally had this reaction of, I think I need to move my seat. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I could sit next to them because I was so worried about, you know, the coronavirus. But then I just sort of got over it. They put the... Mm -hmm. Mass on made me feel a little bit better, but it just came to me, and then mm -hmm. you know, yeah. then it was fine, and we ended up talking, right. and it was great. But my first reaction, my gut mm -hmm. was, I, I got, I, I yeah, I mean, there's dangerous. Yeah. I that's that's normal. I mean, you're you, you were in fight or flight mode. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the first thing that's going to take over. You feel for your safety, right. you fear um, for the long term. Um, How did you know they were Yeah. Well, they were actually, they had, they were scrolling. When they first came in, I just wasn't 100% sure, but then they were on their phones and they were scrolling and everything was in and I would say, you know, and especially when it's your comment too. Yeah, exactly. Right. They were right. Right. People aren't going to stop to make that distinction to say, oh yes, they are. They're going to see yeah. someone of Asian persuasion, mm -hmm. and they're going to automatically assume that. Right. Are. I think going back to the, the travel restriction, where that's impactful is, this is happening in 2020. 2030, people will still be talking about coronavirus, and mm -hmm. it will mm -hmm. impact people's long-term decisions on whether or not to do business. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of that is 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 logical because now you have to go into disaster, you know, business mm -hmm. continuity. You know, Apple is being shuffled all over the place now because mm -hmm. they didn't expect right. that type of disruption. Right. Right. Um, so well, it's funneling into other areas. Now the aren't Right. Well, and that's where I think we have to look at the the bias as well and say. You know, from a from a workplace perspective, again, we're not researchers, PhDs, or attorneys, um, but from a from a human resource and workplace perspective, you know, understanding this is a business decision that makes sense, but creating the educational awareness around it so that the bias will not have a negative connotation because having that fight or flight isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. But if she were to react poorly, mistreat those people, that would be the negative impact of the bias. So, you know, that's where we can't, no one will ever be bias free. That's, it's right. just not going to happen. It's that awareness, it's how we inform and how we share with others that's going to build that collaborative diverse Very culture. Very purposefully too. Yeah. Um, there's, there's plenty of other examples and anecdotes for each of these. Do, does anybody want to share one that they may relate to um, a bias that you might in, in recruiting, and go ahead, Anne-Marie. I'm part of the South African delegation, and I think there's certainly unconscious bias with regards to us as a destination. Mm -hmm. Because um, you, people think, or they hear, or it's also media-driven of what the information is about mm -hmm. South Africa, but it's actually very different. Because right. the questions that I've been asked in the last three days was, having to really debunk a lot of myths or mm -hmm. totally misconstrued ideas that people have. So yeah. my default is definitely an unconscious bias towards us as a destination because I think in this community there's not enough knowledge about right. you know, what the country is all about and what it is. When I was speaking with the delegation, and um, one thing that I found, because I was very uninformed about it, and when you're uninformed and you have a bias, the best thing that you can do is become informed. And so I was asking them questions around, you know, what was their conversion rate? You know, when you have a pursuit that you're looking at um, from groups that have not yet ever set soil on South African, um, on the continent, of, uh, continent of Africa, and in South Africa specifically, and they said the biggest challenge is for us to get in the contention. And I said, what's the conversion rate once people have stepped foot in South Africa and experienced it? They said it was 85%. So that's, I mean, it's a significant bias, but I also gave some recommendations on some different conferences and awareness that could be created because, you know, certainly companies want to have better opportunities, save money, be diverse in their, where their employee base is. Yeah, to your point about education, uh, if you guys haven't heard of it, uh, there's an application called Work Smart, and it's something we use, you know, we're in 78. 
or something like that. And it gives you like a dozen different parameters of different cultures and helps you understand differences, everything from how close you stand in conversation to oh, that's you know, great. That, mm-hmm. that sort of the structure of decision making, society and whatnot. Right. It's not that expensive. It's um, you know, kind of the typical average media mobile thing, so you have mm-hmm. every person's different. Right. But at least she helps you understand the differences between societies and can be pretty eye opening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to also share some of the examples that Bobby, who wasn't able to be at this conference, but had, um, you know, the, the second I asked him for his feedback, he gave some really thoughtful examples from, from his personal experience and his dealings with clients. And, you know, he's in Malaysia, and um, what his experience is in, across Asia in terms of business dealings and bringing groups together to um, conduct business opportunities. There is a bias in and uh, longstanding of such, a, for example, bring, meeting a potential client and to have a white colleague there for the discussion because the bias is that brown-skinned folks love to speak with Westerners. So that that limits the you know population mm-hmm. of very um, thoughtful subject matter experts being able to bring something to the table because that's what they perceive is going to be valuable for that group and without probably and that's that's you know there's a lot of examples of that Mm -hmm. um, from a gender standpoint Uh, either not thinking to bring diversity um, in gender or any other kind of diversity in a um, a business meeting think about it or yeah or conversely saying okay we got to have a girl there yeah how many (laughs) women in this room have ever been asked explicitly um, hey, can you come because I need a woman in the room? And every time I'm asked that, what I always say is, no, but next time you need the smartest person in the room, let me come with you and, and help you. So it's, you know, I use it as a teaching moment because um, you know, I have more value than just being a girl. I have, I have lots of value. So take that and bring that to the room. Right, right. And another example that Bobby shared um, was you know as it relates to uh, societal impacts and and um, you know business leadership will come to the table um, with their preconceived notions. There maybe there's like a religious um, uh, priority for them. There may be um, you know some other uh, you know uh, race dominance that they want to be able to um, maybe directly or indirectly mm-hmm. demonstrate across the rest of their organization. And uh, that creates a lot of um, homogeneity kind of group thing mm-hmm. that uh, you know does not further um, any sort of societal um, progression. So right. there's a lot of decisions that are made at the C-suite level that that could be greatly enhanced by thinking things right. more um, more uh, deliberately. Right. Great minds should not think alike. They should challenge one another. And so that's what diversity of thought brings to the room. So how do you combat bias in your everyday? Um, you know, when we're growing up, we're taught the golden rule. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Well, they, you can take that a little bit further, right? Don't do unto others as you would not do unto yourself. But really, what we're striving for is treat others as they want to be treated. So I called out name bias before. And I say that because I grew up in Metro Detroit, and you know, I grew up with a lot of folks who had names that um, really were our white teachers had a significant bias against their African-American names. And one of the things that I learned growing up was, if you don't know how to pronounce someone's name, ask them. 
if you don't know what someone would prefer to be called, ask them. So at the very beginning, when I introduced myself and I said, my name is Michelle, don't call me Shelly. It's because sometimes as you get familiar with people, they might slip to a nickname. Matthew might become Matt, or you might shorten their name, and not everyone's comfortable with that. So treat others as they want to be treated, but don't be afraid to ask and get comfortable with what will help them get comfortable with you. Especially with new pronouns. Absolutely. Pronoun alignment is incredibly important, and I think we need to be, that's still a very you know, strongly evolving area of our day-to-day -day, uh, workforce management. So you know, there are some opportunities here for everyone to, to think about, and a lot of these we've covered in the conversation, but question your assumptions. Why am I thinking this way? What can I do? Analyze. So I'm going to use your example all the way through, right? Analyze. Look at, are they, you know, are they from China? You see it on their phone. Okay. Take a risk. Get outside your comfort zone. So yours was kind of you know, willing yourself into getting into a comfortable place. They put their masks on, and you're OK with it. Disrupt the default. So this is where you know, consciously, this is, a lot of this is about making conscious decisions. It's not something that you leave to chance. It's not something that you go with your gut. The second you feel like this is a gut decision, that's when you question it. And you reach out and you look for things that are exactly the opposite of what your normal, in a rush, what you would go to your home team for. And an example of this here, um, I think, is the speed networking exercise, where you don't get a chance to pick who you're going to meet. You're going to meet someone older. You're going to meet someone younger. You're going to meet someone from a very diverse background, meet someone with a very diverse experience. Those are exactly the kind of examples. And you can recreate all kinds of examples within your sphere to be able to um, take yourself, yourself out of your comfort zone. Speaking out, this type of dialogue is you being here is an example of being able to think through and be able to challenge your own conventional wisdom and challenge other people as well in a very polite, um, considerate way. And, and then hold yourself accountable to that. Um, you know, I held myself accountable and recognized um, ways that I can improve in terms of engaging different people as part of this exercise. Um, holding other people accountable as well mm -hmm. in dialogue that you might have that is starting to go a little bit off the rails of your comfort zone. Um, there are ways to do that, that that can actually make it an academic exercise. Mm -hmm. If you're hearing something that is contrary to your belief system, and you want to be able to be more self-aware, you could, you know, there's plenty of facts out there about um, things that challenge the jokes that you might be hearing in, in a conversation. So as it relates to developing relationships with your, um, your client partners, um, whether you're a buyer working with your supplier or vice versa, uh, there are programs that you can jointly work together to achieve to help your own organization and the organizations that, that you work with. Um, there is an example from um, uh, a firm that I worked with uh, where our client, a technology top 50 company, um, as part of the RFP process said, we want to understand what your diversity platform is all about because we're not doing a great job of it. And there was plenty of evidence of that in the news about that situation. So what we did to address that is took some of the programs that we were developing based on our, what we saw in the market as a need 
as well as what our clients saw as a need mm -hmm. and started um, creating diversity initiative planning um, and do some joint planning around that so that basically rising tides raise all boats, being able to crowdsource some of these solutions, um, develop uh, co-branded community involvement programs, um, be able to reach out through uh, diverse recruiting fairs and um, be able to identify new kinds of populations that can add uh, great contributions to different solutions. Um, I think like the impact sourcing example mm -hmm. is a prime example right. of that. Um, internship programs, I mean that's, you know, being able to do this on a um, considered effort, being maybe working with a consultant even to help develop these programs if you did not do it organically yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, if you don't already have them, develop employee resource groups for priority populations mm -hmm. that um, based on the interests and um, needs of the talent that's in your organizations, um, these can very easily and organically develop, but you can create some structure around um, how they can set up themselves for success as well and do that with your clients. What are your thoughts about hiring um, organizations to do bias training? It's tremendous. I mean, you really need to. What we're providing today, and, and I think we'll probably, we might, we might go ahead and turn it off. Um, but this is really intended to be an, an aha moment by your peers. This is not a training. So we work with um, Catalyst as our research partner. And we work with them at a program level. And then we also work with Paradigm. So Colliers as a company, we've invested in diversity and inclusion, specifically unconscious bias training for all of our market leaders and senior executives to be participatory in in-person uh, training that all will be held by the end of 2020. And wow. it's it's not insignificant in terms of spend, but that's really where you know our C-suite says, you know, as a company, our culture supports that we have the best people in the room, and you can't do that without having a very strong diversity initiative. So I highly recommend either of those platforms. Catalyst is a great research partner. They're open forums. You can see a lot of their information and articles online, and Paradigm's done a great job with us. We want to leave you with some tools in a toolkit. Um, and this is in the slides that you can get. Um, Project Implicit, you know, you mentioned, you know, I didn't realize I was biased. 85, there was a stat mm -hmm. I put up before, 85% of people thought they are less biased than they really are. Um, like there's only one person that they thought they were more biased. And um, so <laughs> trying to One identify, person out of 600. Yes. <laughs> so trying to find, identify where your blind, blind spots are in bias, there's a program called Project Implicit. It's a joint effort, I think it's between um, Yale, Harvard, and, and Stanford, um, some very, very large schools. Um, and they have two types of programs. One, to, uh, dozens of surveys and tests um, on social attitudes as well as mental health. So like all number of categories, two different cohorts might be compared together and you can um, review your own personal biases. You're not personally identified if you take that test. Um, and the and research that comes from that test goes into the collective uh, a body of work that they're working on and developing. Some of the other programs that um, also feed into this topic, UCSF has a very um, uh, great depth body of work around bias, um, unconscious bias, and diversity and inclusion, and, and other kinds of resources. So I encourage you to reach out to that. So does Society for Human Resources Management. Um, they have you know training programs. Um, lots of literature uh, and, and really practical toolkits to help address this. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was such a great session. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.